God is on the move. Father's doing something so special in this hour. If you would, make your way to Revelation chapter 5. And I just want to share a quick testimony from last night that has just got me absolutely amped, hyped, and excited. So this lady, she got saved and healed in the same night. She gave her life to Jesus Christ. And then we had some people come over and pray for her. This lady was blind in one eye and couldn't move her eye. And God restored her sight and the mobility to her eye. Come on. Hallelujah. That's our God. You know, I've been in religious churches, and I'm thankful that I'm not in one now. And I'm thankful I'm not under a religious pastor. He's a pastor of fire. But, you know, I was told one time when I went out and God just poured out his spirit and it was heal, just healed people. And they said, you know, there's just something special about when you go out. God just heals. But you don't expect that to happen, you know, at home. And I could never grasp that, that concept. But now I realize, you know, here in America, we come up with these funny little theological concepts that are just flat out stupid to try to justify the lack of power in a service. Let me tell you, it's the same Holy Spirit that goes out there and anoints the messengers and the preaching of the gospel to confirm his word with signs and wonders. It's the same Holy Spirit that is in our midst right now. He's the same today, yesterday, and forever. Our God reigns. He's all powerful. Lord, I just thank you for the abundance of your grace. Holy Spirit, come in more. Come in more. Reveal Jesus. Reveal the power of the kingdom of God in our midst. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Manifest your power in our midst. Confirm the word with signs and wonders, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, and break out among us. Break out among us in power and authority. You have freedom here. In Jesus' name, amen. Are you guys in Revelation 5? Tonight's going to be a night of freedom. Tonight's going to be a night of, of a powerful encounter with the Lord and with the living God. Tonight's that night that you break free of whatever's been distracting, whatever's been frustrating, the pressing that's, the pressing that's depressing in the atmosphere. God's going to break that tonight because there's going to be a sound that comes out of the midst of us. It's the roar from the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he is in our midst. You guys okay? You guys ready? Revelation 5. And I'm not going to try to break down everything that's in Revelation 5, but I want to focus on the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David. Now John's just being caught up into the throne room of God. And then he sees Jesus in his fullness because the elders or the angel of what he sees is he sees Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah 
And then he sees Jesus as the root of David. And then the lamb that was slain that has seven eyes and seven horns, which resembles the all seeing that, that Jesus sees all of man's deeds and that he has all power and authority. He has the full expression of the resurrected Messiah in the throne room. And there's going to be a full expression in these last days of the Messiah on planet earth. God is shaking the nations in our midst. He's shaking everything that's not connected to his word. He's shaking everything that offends the love of God. God is shaking loose the carnal things of this world from the bride of Christ to clear her vision, to get her vision on the Messiah. God is shaking in our midst. The very things that the man and women have been clinging on to for dear life. To show them that those things are temporary. Those things are going to burn up with a fervent heat. God is shaking the things loose in our nation. He's shaking the demonic roots in the structures of our government, in the structure of media. He's shaking everything that can be shaken in these last days. And we are coming to a crash course, a head-on collision with the manifestation of the kingdom's power on earth, the revealing of the Son of Man coming to planet earth. We are living in the greatest hours. I believe that we are the generation of the Messiah's return. I believe that with my entire heart, and I'm, I'm living for that. My heart burns for the revealing of the Son of Man. So John sees this vision. He's caught up. And in verse 1 it says, I've seen the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And a scroll was written. A scroll was written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Do not weep. Behold, he's calling attention. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. You see the Father handing the deed of the earth and the judgments, the righteous judgments that will cleanse the earth from everything that offends the love of God, being handed to the one found worthy. 
the one who has prevailed. And that's what I want to de declare to you tonight, is that we serve the risen Messiah that has prevailed. Prevailed over sickness, over death, over sin, over the enemy. He has prevailed by the resurrection from the dead. He has prevailed by the blood-soaked cross. And John shares his vision to prophetically show the people of God in all generations who we trust in and and what will happen. The scroll is in the right hand of God and not man. It shows the authority side of God. And it shows that he hands it to the Lamb, his Son, the eternal Son of God. He hands it to him. All power and authority, Jesus said in Matthew 28, has been given to me. So now that I have, been, have this authority, now I send you. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, teaching them the things that I have taught you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Now, what did he teach his disciples? To execute divine justice on devils. To preach the gospel. The saving grace of, of Father God to a generation to know that there is a God in heaven who loves you, who gave his only begotten son for you, that the sinless lamb of God before the foundation of the earth took your sins on his back, was nailed to a tree, an open display, bearing our shame, bearing our sin, bearing our sickness, that we might become children of God through him, that we might know the goodness of the Lord through the resurrection of our God. This isn't just a fantasy story. This is reality. And if you look at the earth today, you see the prophecies of the Bible are coming true. Even more so in these last days. There's coming a moment that has possibly already happened when the Lord Jesus initiates the final seven years of the age. That's the reality of the gospel. He is coming back. And there's nothing that anybody can do to change that. And it's a blessing to love his appearing. I am not frightened when they say Jesus is coming back. Friend, if you get scared when somebody talks about the second coming of Jesus Christ, you need to examine your heart. Because that should be the cry. That's our blessed hope. When he finally puts the end to death and the devil. When he comes back and manifests the power of, kingdom, of the kingdom of God openly. John weeps because no one's able to read the scroll. And that term is the like read to the congregation, the judgments of God. See, the judgments of God have to be pronounced in heaven before they can be enacted in the earth. Because heaven's will is established in heaven, and it's the ecclesia's assignment to pray it into the earth. That's intercession. Hearing the will of God and then praying it into the earth. Prevailed. In Revelation 5.5, 5, it means to be victorious, to overcome, to conquer, and to subdue. And it is spoken of Lord Jesus and his followers as victorious over the world, over evil, and over the enemies of the kingdom of God. You have the victory over the devil. 
You have victory over every tormenting spirit. You have victory over every frustrating circumstance in life. You have victory through the eternal son, Jesus Christ. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take cheer. I have overcome the world. We have victory through the blood of Jesus. We have victory over sickness. We have victory over cancer. We have victory over lupus. We have victory over leukemia. We have victory over kidney disease. We have victory over heart disease. We have victory over high blood pressure. We have victory over diabetes. We have victory over it. We have victory over it. And you have to stand in your assignment. You have to stand in your adoption and declare, I have victory over it. I have victory over depression. I have victory over anxiety. I got a Victory over the enemies of the kingdom of God. I have victory. Victory is my banner. Victory is in my name. Victory is in my Messiah. And because we're in him, we have victory. We have victory. And he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's victorious. He's the one that releases strength. He's the one that releases courage. He's the one that releases the boldness. When we're in him, you have victory. You have boldness. You have courage. You have strength. And the weakness of your flesh is the, uh, is the occasion for the power of God to manifest through you. And let that be a testimony to those around you. You might have been going through absolute chaos this year. And it's your response as a testimony to those around you of the strength of God. I'm sure there's some in here that's gone through absolute chaos. And things that would break most people, and they broke you. And I'm telling you, there's somebody examining your life saying, I see the anointing of God on that person. There's something different in that person. Because what that person's went through would have broke me. But I see a strength. I see a light. I see a favor. I see something different. And what they see is Jesus. Because we're connected to the lineage of Judah. Through the blood of Christ. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And this was a prophecy given in Isaiah, I mean, excuse me, Genesis 49, verse 8. And this is Jacob prophesying over his sons. And he prophesies over his fourth son and says, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. My gosh, friend, you need to declare that over your life. My hand shall be on the neck of my enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver law from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his donkey to the vine and the donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washed 
his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. And his eyes are darker than wine, and his teeth are whiter than snow. I mean, whiter than milk. But he's made your sins whiter than snow. (laughs) Praise God. It's a messianic prophecy given. And we see this in Genesis. And now we see it spoken in Revelation. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. The term for the Lion of the tribe of Judah points to a great conquering victorious king that descends descends from the lineage of Judah. John saw the Lord Jesus as the greater Moses delivering God's people and the great deliverer of nations. Jesus is the greater Moses. And in church, when we say that, we automatically think about the law. And how Jesus has delivered us from the law into into grace. But friends, Moses was also a great deliverer, a national deliverer. The Pharaoh was a foreshadow of the Antichrist. Moses was a foreshadow of Christ to come. A great deliverer. By the mighty hand of God, Moses led out the people of Israel out of Egypt by the mighty hand of God. And by the mighty hand of God, Jesus is going to lead nations out of the clutch of the Antichrist spirit and agenda and the actual manifestation of the Antichrist himself when Jesus comes back. Everything you're seeing in the world right now going on is just the, pr- the, the priming The priming and the gathering together for the final showdown. As you see nations rage. As you see nations rage against Israel. As you see people fall away from the faith. As you see people go absolutely out of their mind. Where there just seems like there's no common sense. All of this is just priming for the final showdown. But I want to let you know, just because chaos is taking place, just because lunatics are losing their mind, there's also going to be a great revealing of light. There's also going to be a great demonstration of the power of God on planet Earth through the people of God, by the hand of God. And it's going to be the Lord's doing. In Joel chapter 3. In verse 9, this is end time prophecy in the Old Testament. It says, proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Wake up the mighty men and let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. I want you to know this is the Lord initiating this. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble and come, all you nations, and gather together all around. Cause your mighty ones to go down there, O Lord. Let the nations be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there I will sit to judge all the surrounding nations. I want to pause there. What we're seeing with Hamas breaking out in Israel, it isn't just about taking certain parts of Israel. 
It's not just Iran rearing its head up at Israel just for some land. The ultimate end game for them is Jerusalem. The ultimate end game for Russia is Jerusalem. The ultimate end game for Hamas is conquering Jerusalem. And there's going to be a day when the Lord grabs these nations and brings them for judgment right to Jerusalem. In the valley of Jehoshaphat, right in front of the east gate of Temple Mount, there's going to be a day when these nations are divinely brought up by the hand of God for the judgment of God. Put in your sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come down for the winepress is full. The vats overflow for their wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. And we are in the beginning of this. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon will grow dark. And the stars will diminish their brightness. The Lord will also roar from Zion. And utter his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth will shake. But the Lord will be a shelter for his people and the strength of the children of Israel. So that you should know I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. Then Jerusalem shall be holy and no aliens shall ever pass through her again. The Lord shall roar from Zion. And that's a battle cry. That's the war cry from the Messiah as he comes. See, as the hand of God draws all these nations, all these anti-Christ nations, all these anti-Semitic nations, as the hand of God divinely draws them to encompass around Jerusalem, they think they're there to destroy Jerusalem and to take over the city. But friends, I want to let you know, it's the hand of God divinely drawing them there for the judgment of God, for the revealing of the Messiah as he comes and he executes them by the, by the sword of his mouth. As the lion roars, the shaking that is happening now is separating the wheat from the tares. So the harvester will put in his sickle to reap the harvest. And Joel makes mention of this in verse 13 when he says, the harvest is ripe. Put in your sickle. Revelation 14, chapter, chapter 14, verses 14 through, uh, through 19. It talks about a harvest. He says, then I looked up and behold, a white cloud. And on the cloud sat one like the son of man, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Thrust in your sickle and reap for the time has come for you to reap for the harvest is ripe. So he sat on the cloud and thrust in his sickle into the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. He also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud voice to him, who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle 
and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridle for 1,600 furlongs. So you can see the prophecy given over into Joel 3. It's then correlated into Revelation 14 in the end times. There's two harvests at the end of the age. There's the harvest when the Lord comes and collects those who are his from this great awakening. There is a great awakening that has already started. It's already started. We're not waiting for something now. It's already started. We just have to step into it. The shaking has started, and the revival and awakening has started. And after this has come, the Bible says there's another harvest, and it's those who reject what God's doing in the earth. See, the saving of America doesn't start in the White House. It starts in God's house. Because Micah 4, 2 says, in the latter days... That the, Lord, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established above all the other mountains and all the people shall flow to it. See, the morality has to come back into the church. The biblical standard of God's word has to come back to the church. A biblical worldview has to come back to the church and the people in the church. And a standard of holiness has to be holiness again. And it starts with leadership. It starts with leadership, knowing the bold lion of the tribe of Judah. See, when you're connected to the lion of the tribe of Judah, when you know Jesus as the lion of the tribe of Judah, the man of war, the one who conquers, the one who releases strength and courage and releases the boldness to stand in the authority of the word, that's how you become uncompromising in all your ways, when you're connected to him. Remember what he said in John 15, if you're connected to the vine, you're connected to him. You're connected to the source. If you're connected to the source of morality and boldness and courage and strength in the end times when things come against you, that's how you're not uncompromised, that, that you do not compromise and you stand in your authority. Feel the Lord. Pastor said it last week that the American church has a jaded view of Jesus. And I believe it's because there's been unbelievers behind the pulpits, those men and women that have compromised their integrity. Just like I had somebody look me in my face to try to justify the lack of power with some silly little theological concept. It's the same people who compromise the word and the standard of holiness to justify their secret sin. Man, I didn't have this plan, but I'm just going to obey the Lord. In these days that we're in, this shaking, this compressing, what this is designed to do is to prune everything to purify everything that's not of God in you. These days, 
you're going to really find out what you're made of. God is getting rid of the middle ground. There's no more middle ground with the Lord. Either you're in or you're out. Either you're for the Lord or you're not. It's important that you stay connected to the word of God and to the presence of God in these next coming days because the shaking is going only to increase. The shaking on the earth, it isn't just America. I know as Americans, sometimes we want to think that Bible prophecy revolves around us, which we play a part in that. But friend, this shaking is across the entire globe. The hour of testing is across the entire globe, and it's hot. And the reason why it's hot is because that irons out the wrinkles in the bride's garments. It purifies all the things that defile the pure faith that's supposed to be gold that's within you. You're going to find out in these next couple days or months coming, those who say in their apple trees are really lemons. And that's not speaking to anything that's came out recently. But we're in an hour of testing. And the Lord is testing his church and testing which part of his church that he could trust his glory in. We are coming into the days where you're going to see vessels of honor and vessels for dishonor. And only the vessels of honor will be able to steward the glory and the new wine that the Lord desires to pour out in the earth. See, the Spirit of God says that there's persecution coming to the American church. And this persecution is going to have a mask of tolerance. But the face behind the mask is global jihad. But out of the persecution, there's going to be a war cry from the bride that goes from a cub's whelp to a lion's roar. And it's going to be done by the hand of God. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the one that goes to war. The lion is the king of the jungle. And he's also the root of David. The man of war who subdues kingdoms. In Isaiah 42, verses 10 through 13, it says this. Sing to the Lord a new song and his praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you coastlands and you inhabitants of them, let the wilderness and its cities lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar inhabits, let the inhabitants of Selah sing. Let them shout from the top of the mountains. Let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry aloud. Yes, shout aloud. And he shall what? Prevail against his enemies. 
Do not weep, John. Do not weep, victory. For the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has prevailed to lose the scrolls and to read it out loud. The lion of the tribe of Judah is going to roar in these nations. He's going to stir up his zeal like a mighty man of war. Because he is a man of war. With fire in his eyes. And he's jealous for his bride. And he will prevail over his enemies. And here's the good news. Those things that are coming up against you, the Lord is going to stir up his zeal like a mighty man of war. And he's going to go to war for you in these next coming days. He's been warring for you without you even knowing. God's been doing things in my life in the past couple years that I hadn't even no clue he was doing. And I can say that for you because what he does for me, he'll surely do for you. Because he shows no favoritism to his children. God is for you. God is going to fight for you. God has already prevailed for you. And because he's prevailed, you prevailed. Because he's overcome, you've overcome. Because he has victory, you have victory. Because he has subdued all of the enemies of the kingdom of God. So you will subdue all of the enemies of the kingdom of God. Psalm 96, verse 10 through 13 says, Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established and it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. Let the field be joyful in all that is in it. They let all the trees of the woods All the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. That's end time prophecy. He's coming. And like King David, he's a man of war, establishing the kingdom of God amongst the nations. Look at Psalm 98. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. And I want to let you know in Isaiah 42 verse 10 it says sing to the Lord a new song. Psalm 96 verse 10 sing to the Lord a new song. Or excuse me. No, it ain't verse 10. <laughs> and I lost it. He says sing to a loose song. You're going to have to take my word for it. Verse 98 verse 1 he says sing to the Lord a new song. Thank you. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. And his right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. The Lord has made known his salvation. His righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song. Rejoice and sing praises. Sing to the Lord with a harp. With the harp and the sound of a song. With trumpets and the sound of a horn. Shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. Let the sea roar in all its fullness. The world and those who dwell in it. The rivers, let them clap their hands. Let the hills be joyful together before the Lord, for he is coming 
to judge the earth. With righteousness, he shall judge the world. And with the peoples, with equity. He is coming. Sing to him a new song. That song is a song of deliverance. Psalm 34. Psalm 34 says that, that the Lord is our help. He is our shield. He is our salvation. And he sings songs of deliverance. If you remember King David, he was a deliverer. And the Lord is a deliverer. And he delivers me. And I'm so thankful for him. I'm so thankful for the deliverance I've gone through with him. How he desires for me to be holy and blameless before his sight. And how he initiates it. And it's my response of yes. And he's initiated it for you tonight. And your response has to be yes. And friend, I want to let you know, if you say yes, he'll do it. He'll do it. We've seen him do it for people last night. I mean, think about how that lady must have been. Just walking through the park, hear the gospel, respond to it, say yes. Thinking that God was just concerned with her eternal soul. But no, God wasn't done. He wanted to heal that eye. Not only did God open up her spiritual eyes, but God opened up her physical eye. It's a new song of deliverance. And I believe we've seen great healing revivals. Great healing revivals. But I believe this last day revival is going to be connected to deliverance. And it's going to be because the culture has become so wicked. So polluted. So over-sexualized. That it's going to take the king of glory to exercise those demons out of people's soul. And they're going to have such a powerful encounter with the Lord. From that, they're going to love the Lord for the rest of their life. For he who is forgiven much loves much. And I've been forgiven much. Maybe that's why I love much. He's coming to judge the earth. He's coming like a mighty man of war on a white horse. He who sits on the cloud will will stick in his sickle into the earth and reap the harvest for himself. Revelation 19, verse 11. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him is called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. You see all these scriptures connecting? His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written on it that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven... Clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Friends, that's us. Followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword. That with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And on his robe... And on his thigh, a name is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. See, the Lord Jesus in the last days, when he, when he appears, we're in the last days, but when he appears, he brings the wrath of God with him. The Lord Jesus is the wrath of God on the nations. All of those who 
the Bible says, don't believe and who do not obey the gospel. Here's some encouragement. Verse 17, then I saw an angel standing in the sun. And I love reading this because it reminds the enemy of his destruction. I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, come and gather together for the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the kings of the earth and their armies, gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. And then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive in the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with a sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. That's what Jesus is going to do in the physical. When he returns. The lion of the tribe of Judah. That is Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And I want to let you know, there's a lot of people in church that don't want to hear this stuff. This is the judgment of God. This is the whole counsel of God. And no matter how many churches want to play little silly games. And try to act like nothing's going on in the nation's. And try to have the ostrich syndrome and bury their heads in the sand. This is going to come to pass. But also being the root of David applies that the Lord Jesus is also the giant slayer. The root of David. See, a Jewish man, when he would have read this, he wouldn't have just thought about King David establishing the kingdom And the man of war, he would have thought about how King David first came to fame. How he first really came on the scene as a national deliverer. In the valley of Elah. When he confronted the giant. And that's in 1 Samuel 17. When you confront giants... It's not enough just to throw the rock and strike them in the head. You got to cut it off. That's right. See, when David hit that giant and sunk that stone in its head, he didn't stop there. He ran and grabbed Goliath's sword, the very thing that was supposed to afflict pain on King David and cut his head off. What was it, just six weeks ago, we were in the Valley of Elah. Let me tell you something about confronting giants in your life. It's a fight. It's a fight emotionally, and it's a fight physically. Whenever you're in a fight, 90% of the battle is really emotionally. As a boxer... I would see people lose the fight before they even got in the ring. 
And that's because they had to sit in the locker room for two hours and think about it. You have to make up your mind in these last days of who you're going to serve. You have to make up your mind who you're connected to. Either you're connected to the Lord or you're connected to the world. You're in a fight. I've been in a fight. And I want to tell you, when we went to the Valley of Elah, and we did a prophetic act of throwing stones at our giants. And I thought I was being prophetically cute. And I picked up five stones. And I threw those five stones with everything I had in me. And I want to tell you, I've seen God attacking those giants since I threw those five stones. I want to tell you that chaos has broken in my broken out in my life, and I'm going through it just like you're going through it. I'm walking through the mud just like you're walking through the mud. But I've realized that I've fought the lion, I've fought the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine is nothing, but he has to fall to the living God. The giants in your life have to fall to the living God. You have to stand firm in your anointing. You have to stand firm in your assignment. You have to stand firm in your identity that's connected to the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And you have to throw the stone. And when you see that stone strike the giant's head, finish the job. Grab the sword of the Lord and cut its head off. That giant in your family has to fall. That giant of cancer, it has to fall. That giant of pornography, it has to fall. The giant of perversion in this nation, it has to fall. The giant of communism, it has to fall. The spirit of Hamas, it has to fall. Come on. You got to let your war cry be heard in the spirit. God's giving you a voice. Use it. I can't imagine what would have not have happened if the Israelites would have just marched around Jericho seven times but never shouted. You know what that shout was? It wasn't just, thank God we're done walking. It was a shout of victory. It was a shout of victory. You're in a fight, and you have to use your voice, and as a shout of victory over the enemy. Because you're not fighting this war alone. You have a mighty man of war who stirs up his zeal that comes out and wars with you. He wars with you. He wars for you. Or you could just sit on the sidelines and play religious patty cake and just watch the culture go to hell. Literally. If you don't believe that a demonic horde of demons 
has been unleashed on the earth, then you need to get your eyes fixed. If you need any proof of demonic possession, you look at Hamas. And it isn't just barbarianism that proves to be demonic possession. Demonic possession is also in politicians cutting little kids' genitals off. It's perverting children. You know what else demonic possession proves of? Lukewarm, cold, supposedly called preachers, not preaching on sin and the judgments of God. Shane, are you saying they're filled with demons? I'm saying they're influenced with demons and they need deliverance. You need to throw the stones at those giants in your way. And you need to realize you're in a fight and it doesn't come easy. And as you feel the pressing that's in the earth, know that you are connected to the Lord and the power of his might. You are connected to the one who goes to war. And I want to let you know, it was a foreshadow. David, that little boy throwing those stones was a foreshadow of Christ. The root of David, it was a foreshadow of Christ going to war for the people of God. Here's another thing. It wasn't enough for David to throw the stone and cut the giant's head off. The armies of Israel had to pursue the Philistines. It's not enough just to say, okay, the Lord fights my battle. You have to put your faith in action. You have to declare with your mouth the word of the Lord and the power of his might over those devils. That's why the Lord's put you in this hour, in this generation, at this specific time. Yeah. Revelation 5, 6, he also sees the lamb that had been slain with seven eyes and seven horns. So not only does he see Jesus as the mighty, mighty conquering king, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, but he also sees Jesus as the mighty king and warrior over your soul. The lamb that was slain. And it's a picture that it had to take a sinless lamb. He who knew no sin became sin. That you might become the righteousness of God in him. He took your sin. He took your sorrow. He took your shame. And he put it on his back and nailed it to a cross. And on the third day, he arose again from the dead, triumphing over death, sin, and the grave. Our life, blood, is connected in him. You have new blood flowing through your veins. You have a new genealogy. It doesn't matter what your parents had or your grandparents had or who they were connected to. It only matters who you are connected to. And if you're connected to the vine... You're brand new. Old things have, have passed away and all things have become new. And I'm so surprised even deliverance ministers somehow forget that. And they make deliverance almost like a law and religious activity. Either you're a new creation or you're not. Either you believe that or, you're, or you don't. Me and for my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to stand in our assignment in these last days. 
And I've been really thinking a lot after Israel was overtaken three weeks to the day that we left. And I just sat there and I thought, like, wow, we could have been there. I can't even imagine watching my wife being dragged away from me. And, you know, I've really done some soul searching on legacy. What kind of man do I want to be? What, type, what do I want to be remembered for? This isn't pride or arrogance. But we're all going to be remembered for something. And I've made up my mind. I want to be remembered, firstly, that someone loved Jesus with his whole heart. Secondly, was one of the best husbands to his wife. And thirdly, someone who led a people to love Jesus more than their own lives. Colossians chapter 1. I'm going to try to try to round third. Chapter 1, verse 12 says, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the great deliverer, and he's the only one that can deliver you from your sins. He's the only one that can forgive you of your sins. He's the only one that can set your heart on fire with the love of God that you chase after him more than you chase after the world. He's the only one can, that can do it. And in me up here preaching to you for an hour, you have to have a personal encounter with the living God yourself. Because that's what took this gang, gang banging, drug-doing, alcohol-drinking, low-life, and made him a follower of Jesus. It was a powerful encounter with the living, resurrected Messiah who lives and reigns and one day is coming back. But he has delivered you. In this time of pressing and you're looking like, Lord, all these frustrations, all these arrows coming from multiple fronts, almost like the war in Israel. You see how the war in Israel, multiple fronts coming at them. The people of God, if you don't think we're connected to Israel in some type of way. But you have to know the word of God and know the promises of God that he's qualified us to become partakers of the inheritance of the saints of light. And he's delivered us from the power of darkness and he's conveyed us into the son of his love. You have been delivered. All the chains have been broken. You just have to step into agreement with it. And that choice is something we got to make sometimes every day. When you're going through the battle and you're fighting against spiritual wickedness in high places and just the circumstances in life, you just have to stand in the word. The word is, is your foundation. The word was the rock that David threw at the head of Goliath. It was the sword of the word that cut the giant's head off. Look at this spiritually. When you're going through a fight and you're calling on that great deliverer, you have to stand in his word. You have to trust that he is going to deliver you out of this. Why? Because his word says it. And God is not a man that he should lie. It is supposed to be normal for people to get healed in church. That's supposed to be a just, that's supposed to be normal. It's supposed to be normal. 
I hate the theological concept. Well, he heals the unbeliever to, cons- to, to confirm his word. But the word says that the healing is children's bread. It should be easier for somebody that's in the kingdom that has the kingdom benefits get healed. But it's the lack of the word in their life. And it's silly little theological concepts. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned but cast them down to hell and delivered them, delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment and did not spare the ancient world but saved Noah, one of the eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, Condemn them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. That's an example. And delivered righteous not, Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing the lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust for punishment for the day of judgment. It's an example for us. There's just not romance stories of God's judgment falling and him preserving. If he knows how to deliver a righteous lot out of there, right? If he knew how to deliver lot, he knows how to deliver you. If he knew how to deliver Noah, he knew how to deliver you. You have to step into it. If you are like me and you just can't help but notice the things around you, and that's me being sarcastic, and the things that go on in this world torment your righteous soul, but you have to take comfort in that, not hold on to that, detach from it, cling to the Lord, because he knows how to deliver you. How much more does he know how to deliver those who love him? Not only is Lord Jesus our great conquering king and deliverer, but he's also our great high priest. Hebrews chapter 7, and I'm closing with these. Verse 14, for it is evident that the Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. Now remember, the sinless lamb It was the high priest who stood before the people on behalf of the people to sacrifice the lamb and to pray for the people, for their sins to be covered for a year. It was Jesus, the sinless lamb, slaughtered for the people to cover the people's sins for eternity. And it is yet far evident, in the likeness of Melchizedek, there arises another priest who comes, check this out, not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. It's the eternal Son of God slain for you. Your deliverance is in him. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah who makes war for you. He makes war for you. 
It's by his blood that we are forgiven of our sins, and it's by his blood that you're delivered from every giant in your life. Every giant in your life. See, I believe in the closing years of the end of the age, there's going to be no middle ground. You're going to have the Lord Jesus, and you're going to have the Antichrist. You're going to have the Holy Spirit, and you're going to have deceptive spirits. And you're going to have true believers, and you're going to have unbelievers. They won't just be unbelievers, but they're going to persecute the real believers. And I believe this is coming. But with that, you're going to see the true God of heaven manifest his power on behalf of the saints. We're going to see fire come out of heaven. We're going to see hailstones crush the enemies of God. That's what scripture says. If you don't believe me, read Ezekiel 38 and 39. Gog and Magog. It says hailstones that weigh 100 pounds come out and crush the enemies of God on the northern mountains of Israel. My God, it's going to be an open display of power where you're going to see the veil removed from the physical and the spiritual. There are many in here that are experienced in the pressing and the shaking. And there are many in here that have great calls of God in their life that Satan is trying to wear you out and to frustrate you and distract you from your assignment. And I believe that the Lord wants to slay those giants in your life tonight. If you're in this room and you're away from the Lord, it's time to make it right. It's time to make it right. It's time to get on the Jesus train. Because there's a time coming when mercy is closed off forever. When he comes and makes war against the enemies of God and those who reject him. If that's you in this room, make it right tonight. Will you guys stand? Lord, I thank you that you're in this room and your desire is for your people to be free. Lord Jesus, would you come and manifest yourself in this room to us openly? Would you reveal your holy power among your saints, Lord Lord, would you break every chain, every demonic assignment, every frustrating and tormenting, afflicting spirit and assignment off the people of God tonight. God, would you lose the revelation of your love and lose the spirit of adoption and grip the hearts with conviction that you are our deliverer. Holy Spirit, come. 
Holy Spirit, come and break out among us. Holy Spirit, come and break out in my life. Tell them that. Holy Spirit, come and break out in my life. Loose the roar of the lion of the tribe of Judah in this place, Lord. Loose the roar of the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, the conquering king, the one who fights for us, the one who goes to war for us. Loose your word in this house tonight, God. Take the sword and sever, sever every root that is not connected to the true vine. Altar team, can you get ready? I feel the power of the Lord in this room right now. If you've been struggling, if you've been struggling and you're fighting battles, whether it's in your marriage, in your family, in your assignment, if you've been stressed, fighting depression, anxiety, sickness, I want you to step out of your seat and I want us to pray for you. If you need a healing in your body or a healing in your soul, I want you to step out of your seat right now and come to the front. If you need prayer, I want you to step out of your seat right now and come to the front. Whatever it is, even if I didn't say whatever you're dealing with, if you feel the pressing, if you feel that, come out of your seat right now. Come to the front. Tonight's the night of freedom. There's no reason why you have to walk out of here with that. The Lord wants to break that off your life. So, Lord, turn this altar into your fire. In Jesus' name.